Hello and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Seattle and Washington sports. This is your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined as always by my co-host, John Carey, a a mean friend who makes his sick pal read the intro. Yes, we are separated, and it might even sound crisper for you guys than usual because your boy has COVID, so we are trying to stay as far away from each other as possible in this tiny home, Uh, but it's going to be a great experience for you guys. Today, we are going to talk all things Mariners over-unders. We're going to look at it, kind of a deep dive into a bunch of players and some of their projected stats and talk about how we feel about those numbers. Um, And then we're also going to talk a big, big Zags win, some big Wazoo wins, and then review our Super Bowl bets uh, that we made last week and talk about how John did horrendously. (laughs) But before we get into that, as always, a little Coyote Picnic. Okay, John. First things first, we got to give our Seattle news segment. And the one thing we want to talk about that is not really part of our main main segments is uh, the Kraken and how they have gone 0-2 since the All-Star break. How are we feeling? Yeah, yeah. I got to be honest. I'm all the way back down to earth. Um, I think we were both feeling about the way we are now uh, right before they went on that amazing, I think it was nine-game win streak. Um and that looks like the aberration of all aberrations. They're back to mediocrity. It's happening on, on both ends of the ice. Um, it hasn't been very much fun to watch. Just not a lot to talk about either. You know, they're still technically within the potential striking distance of a wild card come the end of the year. But, um, yeah, not a lot to look forward to. Not a lot to say that's exciting. None of our players are really standing out in terms of awesome play just kind of kind of mediocrity all the way around yeah they've slipped down to sixth in the uh, pacific division um and we at their peak they were fourth so they they haven't fallen too far but they're 21 21 and 10 um and just the definition of a mediocre team uh espn and everybody's power rankings has had them sitting right around 20 to 23 all season and it's for good reason they're they're a pretty average to below average team um yeah, not a lot of high production. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah, I think you are right on it. Um, and other than that, yeah, not a lot of news coming. I feel like we've beaten football to death with all the coaching and player movement. Um, and we're going to talk baseball, basketball. Yeah, it's it's time. I'm ready to break into baseball season. It's my my true form is going to come out here pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> But before we get into that, let's let's do Super Bowl and kind of put football to bed for good. Break it down for us, John. Yeah, hail, hail to the Chiefs, no pun intended. Congratulations to Taylor Swift fans everywhere on the uh, third Kansas City Super Bowl win in the last five years. That was a lot of fun. But nobody here really cares about the game. They care about the props and how did we do on those props. And... Um, <laughs> I'll just say that some of us did better than others. Um, I'll just tear through them here real quick, Tyler. Yeah, just tear through them. Yeah. (laughs) How long will the National Anthem be? You took the under on time, and uh, that was 
uh, incorrect. It was over 90 and a half seconds. So that was that's valid. crazy. Remember how I said it? The line had been moved like four seconds to the towards the over, and it still went over. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. She took her time. And then opening kickoff touchback. That was a yes, correct. Uh, first turnover of the game. You said interception. It was a fumble. That was wrong. Uh, which team will reach 10 first? You said Chiefs. It was Niners. Um, will either team score in the final two minutes? You said yes, and that did occur. Ludicrous at halftime. You know it. Oh, good. you know I nailed that one. Yeah, good logic on that one, too. I was like, huh, that seems weird. But you're like, hey, why are they even having this prop if this guy's not going to be here? So no, Alicia no Keys at halftime. That was that was unexpected. That would have been, yeah. Odds, odds were good on that. Um, <laughs> You said, will there be missed field goal? You said, yes, there was not. Missed PATs do not count. Uh, who will finish with more rushing yards? You said Pacheco. It was McCaffrey. Who will win the Super Bowl? You got the Chiefs. Gatorade, you said orange. And it was purple. We both thought it was be, it would be red for sure, but it was purple. Um, and finally, will Travis Kelsey propose to Taylor Swift after the game? You correctly assumed that he would not make that massive blunder. <laughs> um, that uh, tally puts you at five and six over your eleven bets, and let me tell you, I'm awful jealous because <laughs> <laughs> just listen to this awful stretch to start this list. Uh, what will be the result of the coin flip? <laughs> Tails did indeed fail, uh, and I got that wrong. It was heads. Uh, what will be the result of the opening drive? I said punt. It was a fumble. Which team will score first? I said Chiefs. It was the Niners. Which quarterback will throw the first <laughs> passing touchdown? I said Purdy. It was Mahomes. How many songs will Usher perform? I said under eight and a half. He did 12. Uh, how many players will attempt a pass? I said under two and a half, and it was over two and a half, thanks to that beautiful touchdown. The the first touchdown of the game by Jennings. Yeah, yeah Gerard Jennings. <laughs> Um, and then who will finish with more passing yards? Patrick Mahomes, I got correct. My eighth pick was my first correct pick. Nice work. Um, People who tuned in for the last three minutes of the pod really, really nailed it. Yeah. And then <laughs> People just need to bet against me, man. I've got a gift. <laughs> I've got a gift for being wrong. Um, receiving yards, I had Ayuk. That was incorrect for the most receiving yards in the game. How many points will be scored? I said over 47, and it was exactly 47, so that's a push. And Super Bowl MVP, I said other, and it was Patrick Mahomes, not the other category. So for those of you keeping track at home, that is a whopping two, seven, and one. Um, yeah, I made you a lot of money if you just bet against me on all these things. <laughs> I just want to say about the the national anthem length. Reba definitely hit a, the brave a second time at the end of the song just to put it over. That was I was I was watching really paying attention and she was really trying to screw us there. Absolute nonsense. You should have gone six and five. We should file a petition. <laughs> um, anything you specifically want to talk about with the Super Bowl itself? I know honestly everything that happened during that game was what we had talked about would happen and just the like scriptedness of it. Like the chiefs coming back to win a low scoring game. We assumed it wouldn't go to overtime necessarily. And that's probably what screwed the uh, over underline there for you. But yeah, in general, kind of a chiefs classic storybook ending that everybody was expecting. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head. Um, 
could not be more quintessential Chiefs. I remember watching when uh, San Fran was up 10-0 at the half and just being like, I guess it was 10-3 at the half, but just being like, you know, this would be so classic. So such a classic Chiefs. Couldn't get anything going in the first half and then just rolled in the second half. And yeah, it kind of went to the script. Um, a very defensive game. Man, both these defenses are good. Um, a fun little reminder that I honestly myself had forgot it was so long ago. Um, week one or two of the season, I think it was week one, I think it was opening day, me and my brother saw Kansas City against Jacksonville in Florida, and it was an absolute slugfest. Kansas City won like 13 to 6 or something, and at the time we were like, gosh, what an awful game, but we were watching this awesome Chiefs defense. They've been really good all year. They were really good against the Ravens, and they were quite good against San Francisco again tonight, so... um Props to both defenses and particularly the Chiefs. Obviously, everyone's talking about Mahomes. Everyone's talking about Kelsey. But uh, Sneed and uh, Jones, Bolton, Reed, a lot of those guys on that defensive line and that linebacking core played really, really well. So other than that, yeah, Mahomes, Kelsey, doing Mahomes and Kelsey things. Yeah, I can I can really only agree with you there. The uh, the Niners had every chance in the world to take a, a lead that was bigger than ten points to start the game, and they just kind of threw it away. Um, Shanahan, I think, got a little too cute. Uh, the announcers, uh, Romo, and I forget the other guy's name, but they were constantly talking about how they needed to run the run the ball and establish the run game because they just kind of reverted to passing. And I would I would have really really agreed with that. That was that was probably their downfall. Yeah, yeah, that, that and a good defense. I mean, McCaffrey carried the ball 22 times for 80 yards, so less than four yards a carry. But you know what really, yeah, what really sucked was him fumbling on that opening possession. Gosh, McCaffrey yeah. never fumbles. And, yeah, talk about shaking his confidence a little bit and making the coach just think a little bit more about keeping it through the air. Um, credit to Purdy. I don't believe he had any, any interceptions. I think he played a clean game. So, um, no, Purdy was really good. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it was a fun one. I like I like watching good football games, and that was a good one. Gosh, you know what the real star of the show was? Usher. Usher was incredible. <laughs> the roller skating was just what put it over the top, right? The roller skating was incredible. Him going between the guy's legs at the end of the roller skating routine. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it, watch it. If you do remember seeing it, watch it again. It's so incredible, and the degree of difficulty <laughs> is so high. Like, there was a 30% chance he was just going to take one of those legs out and just send that guy flying, but he nailed it. So, props to Usher. All right, John. Let's move along um, and talk about some some really cool stuff that happened in Washington sports uh, this week. Um, well, I guess first let me talk about some some sad things. Uh, UW and Wazoo women's teams both go 0-2 against the Bay Area schools. Uh, losing close games to Cal and Stanford. Um, but yeah, not much to say there. They both are are just steadily falling down the Pac-12 conference standings ladders. Um, and I just wanted to get that out of the way so we could have more fun discussion before you talk. Little Zag basketball, bring it, bring it in. Bring it in, it's time. Yeah, uh, first thing I just want to touch on, Zag ladies stacking up another couple wins against Pepperdine and LMU this week. Um, and they were rewarded in the rankings, climbing from 19, where they've sat for most of the year, up to 17 in the country. Um, 
a tiny bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna just say a tiny bit of disrespect on this Gonzaga women's team. Um, they are 24 and two so far this year, um, which puts them at the fewest losses in the top 25, with the exception of undefeated South Carolina, who have won 23 straight and 35 going back to last year. So. Other than literally the best team in the country that everyone agrees on, the fewest losses in women's college basketball in the top 25 is number 17, Gonzaga. And I understand the thought process. The WCC is even weaker in uh, the women's conference than it is for men's. But still, at some point, you just got to reward wins. This women's team has won like eight straight games. And I just, you know, I'm not saying they have to be number five, but maybe let's get them in the top 15. Yeah, you were talking about this early in the season, and it was just the fact that there's no there's no other good teams in the WCC just means it's going to be that much harder unless teams start to crumble that are, that are up there, which is a lot less likely in women's college basketball. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just, just a little tough for the Gonzaga women's team to shoot up the rankings much quicker i feel like men's basketball is bouncing all over the place because of the losses that all these uh higher ranked teams are taking but it's just bound to happen yeah that's a good point yeah it's women's women's sports much more solidified than the men's in terms of the hierarchy um yeah men's basketball man well let's talk a little men's basketball this saturday the 10th of february gonzaga did what some believe they never would do again (laughs) they beat a quad one team. They beat a top 25 team in the Kentucky Wildcats, 89-85, at Kentucky, at Rupp Arena, at that arena named after a guy whose first name was Adolph. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> what a win by these Bulldogs. Um, very, very, very exciting. I cannot tell you how frustrating this up-and-down season has been. 0-5 in quad one which is the worst in the few era. Um, and they finally pull one out against Kentucky. Uh, it was it was a battle. It was a really good game. Uh, they kind of controlled the first half. They went into halftime up 42-32, having just really out-rebounded and bullied Kentucky down low. And then finally, for those who don't know, Kentucky, they dropped to number 22 after the loss to the Bulldogs. I think they were in 17 at the time. Um but they are the number one offense in college basketball in terms of points per game and three-point shooting. So this Kentucky team can score. Um, the fact that we were able to put up 89 on them, that's what needed to happen for us to win this game because nobody's holding Kentucky to under 80 points. Um, and yeah, they came out firing in the second half and we were able to rally and counterpunch and we were living inside. I can't express enough. This victory was a victory of the bigs. We had five players score in double figures, and four of them were our starting big rotation. It was Anton, Greg, Ike, and Huff. Um, of those, you know, not all, not all are necessarily equal. Um, Graham Ike was awesome. He was our leading scorer, super efficient with the basketball, drew more fouls on those young Kentucky bigs than anybody else. He was really eating up inside, and Credit to Ryan Nemhard for nine assists. He was feeding EK and Watson all game. Um, but when EK got hurt and had to, not hurt, when he got in foul trouble and had to miss a big chunk of the second half, 
Brendan Braden Huff came in and had a really nice game. Got up to 12 points. Anton Watson, our rock, my boy, my grandmother's <laughs> love interest, um, had an awesome game. 17, 7, and 5, and scored every big basket down the stretch, it seems. I swear to God, he had 17 points and five and one baskets. I don't, <laughs> I don't know exactly how that works. He also hit a three. Um, yeah, every time Kentucky started to pull away, and twice down the last minute of the game, we fed it to Anton inside for an and one basket. Um, he was just awesome. And then my favorite player of the entire game, in my opinion, the unsung hero of the event, Ben Gregg. 14 points, 5 rebounds, and a bajillion, you know, non-factored points in terms of hustle and defense and hands, tipping balls, forcing turnovers. Greg was everywhere. I was talking to a John Rosenberger. He came on earlier this year to talk about the Zags, and he had a good comment that the game literally started and ended by Ben Gregg's hands. He started the game for the Zags with a defensive rebound, their first touch, and he finished the game securing a rebound after a missed free throw. So um, I was really, really, really pumped with the way this whole team played up and down. Nemhard distributing, the bigs rebounding the hell out of the ball, playing hard, Hickman doing just enough offensively. Um, yeah, what else is there to say? It's been the best year, best win of the season by a mile and was desperately needed uh, to buoy this team. Yeah, man. I got two notes for that. The first one is, I don't think there's been a game for the, for this entire season where Ben Gregg hasn't been your favorite player for the Zags. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my second note is, uh, yeah, Graham E.K. was phenomenal, and I think him being really good in this game shows what the Zags can be. And it shows like how how good they can or how much they can improve if they can get consistency out of that big, or, you know, those four bigs um, because they they're kind of the the foundation. You, they needed somebody to replace Drew Timmy, and it was going to be all four of them, and they just haven't been performing. Um, and this this game was the one game that really showcased it. Uh, so hopefully they can get that to keep rolling down the stretch. Yeah, that's a really good point. Tim, Timmy in the aggregate is what I would call what these guys did tonight. Um, the, Zags are, the Zags are playing Moneyball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, and you know, that's in terms of the offense and in terms of the defense and the rebounding, you know, they're Timmy 2.0 in the aggregate. They're bringing even more on that side of the ball. So yeah, that was exciting. Um, in other WCC news, St. Mary's has climbed all the way to number 18 in the country. To be honest with you, I don't know 100% how they did that because... <laughs> We were both unranked when they beat us. I guess that must have propelled them in the top 25. Um, yeah, they beat Portland last week. 11-0 and in conference, undefeated in the WCC. Um, they basically got the regular season champ locked up. Uh, we're going to have to get them in the tournament. But it's nice that we'll have another shot at a ranked team. I thought Kentucky was our last opportunity to beat a top 25 team. We can meet St. Mary's uh, again we can get another chance at taking down a top 25 team, which would, I think, be enough to get us back in. That's worth noting. Yeah, we're not in the top 25 per the last AP poll. But in terms of, you know, others receiving votes in terms of total points, uh, we came in at number 33. So not far out. And another top 25 win, I think, would get us there. 
nice. um, that partition partitions that leads well because the number thirty team in the country also not quite enough points to get into the top twenty five is another team in the state of Washington, uh, Washington State. Yeah, man. Washington State Cougars go 2-0 in Oregon. They beat Oregon State 64-58 to and Oregon 62-56. to uh, God, this team just knows how to win. Both close games, and Oregon State is booty, and Oregon is really good. And they both they won both of those games by six. six. Um, so, yeah, the Cougars, Miles Rice has been just kind of a star freshman for them. Um, he had 21 points to beat Oregon this weekend, and he was huge in that UW game last week. I think the more I watch these Cougars, the more I'm just really impressed by their uh, their poise. I think is what it is. Like they they don't have any huge shot, you know, they don't have a huge three point threat or anything like that. They're just constantly battling the entire game, and it's really just impressive. I think they've got a really good chance to make this uh, make the tournament and potentially take out a couple teams. I don't know about win it all, but they they've looked very nice. Yeah, you're on it. Um, Miles Rice, he stood out to me in that Oregon game. Um, kid's got legs. He's really talented. Um, and he can put buckets up in bunches. Uh, yeah, Wazoo is tearing it up right now. They started the season 10 and 5, which is, you know, solid enough. Pretty, pretty, pretty standard Wazoo season. Since then, they've won eight out of their last nine, including wins over Arizona, who was ranked five at the time, and Oregon. Um, they're on a heater. They're on a heater. Other than one little slip up against Cal, um, they are looking like the cream of the Pac-12. Do you know where they stand in the Pac-12 rankings? I imagine. Here, I got it right here. Yeah, they're second. They got to be number one. They're second behind Arizona because Arizona. Oh, uh, duh, I think or they, they've got the one loss to care. They got two losses to Utah and Colorado as the first two games of the Pac-12 slate. Um. But other than that, yeah, they they're nine and four in conference, and yeah, one game back of Arizona. Yeah, nine and four. Well, that's awesome. Five in a row. Same with Arizona, and it'll be fun to watch those two down the stretch as they battle it out. Yeah, they play. Uh, I guess late next week, I believe they play on the twenty second of February. So that's going to be a big game for uh, Pac twelve standings in terms of the seeding for the tournament. There, if if everything continues the way it has been. Massive. And talk about a chance for a team to beat a ranked team and jump into the top 25. If Wazoo manages to win these next two against Cal and Stanford and then takes down number five Arizona for the second time, they beat Arizona at number five. Arizona has climbed back to number five. (laughs) They beat Arizona again. You can bet your money that they're going to be not only in the top 25, but in the top 20 because you can't have a team... Obviously, you know, the people voting really respect Arizona because they have a couple losses and they're still ranked in the top five. If Wazoo beats them twice, you got to show Wazoo a lot of love. Yeah, I was going to say, if they win that game and, they, and they, they win these next three, so they've got Cal, Stanford, and then Arizona, if they win these next three, I think they can make it to top 15. They just, like, yeah. they haven't had a really big prove-it game since that Arizona one. And if they do that again, God, the, the, ceiling, or the ceiling just extends so high for the Cougars there. Yeah, and, and if they did that, it would be 11 out of 12 wins. Um, so even with, you know, sometimes you look at some bigger loss numbers like the Cougars have at six, but, you know, that's relative. They won 11 of 12. They're 11 and one in their last 12, which is about as good as you're going to see in college basketball. So pretty cool for them. Hopefully we can have two Washington top 25 teams in the coming weeks instead of zero. 
Yeah, that would be that would be a big turn of events after we just talked a bunch of smack about it uh, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> you know that's how it works, man. They're waiting for us to <laughs> say something negative. All right, and a real quick note on UW. Uh, they go one and one against the Oregon schools. They lose to Oregon eighty-five to eighty, and give a smackdown to Oregon State. They were up forty-two to twenty-two at half, and just kind of coasted for the rest of the game, winning sixty-seven to fifty-five. Uh, Keon Brooks has looked awesome. Every single game, he's averaging 21 points, the most in the Pac-12, um, and really, he's the only star on this team. If he doesn't have a good game, UW loses. If he has a good game and the rest of the teammates have even a slightly below average game, the team loses. Uh, they really just need everybody to perform decent and Keon Brooks to go off to have a chance at winning any game. So, not looking great for Washington here, but that's just just one little tiny thing to note. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we've got a fun segment for you. We are going to talk Mariners uh, over-unders in terms of what is projected by Zips, which is just a baseball player projections for uh, 2024. It's not a Vegas over-unders or anything. These are just projections that are noted by the Zips, uh, I guess, analysis um, brand. Um so we're going to go through, I believe I've got eight players and talk about what we think uh, a couple of their stats are going to be and why we think they're going to be higher or lower. So, John, are you ready? I am ready. I've got all my stats pulled up. Um, let's see if I can go 0-8. <laughs> all right. First up, I've got Julio home runs. So Zips projects Julio to hit 33 home runs next year. Last year, he hit 32, and in 2022, he hit 28. So that's uh, above his previous two-year total. Um, he's also projected to play three less games than he did last year. So those are a few quick stats while you think of, think it over. Oh, I don't have to think it over. I'm ready on that one. Um, <laughs> J-Rod, 33 home runs is a hard over for me. Um, they're saying he's going to play three less games. That's 152. That sounds perfectly reasonable. Um I think this Mariners team is going to be better, especially in terms of consistency this year. They're not going to have the bad runs that I think they've had in years past. Um, and with that day-to-day -day competitiveness, I expect to see a big third-year leap from Julio Rodriguez. I think it's easy to forget, you know, he was so awesome as a rookie and he was so rock solid last year. Uh, we forget that in a lot of ways he slumped a little bit. Uh, particularly early in the season, um, there were all kinds of horrendous stats. I'm not sure. It was so long ago and so far from our, you know, notion of Julio, it's hard to remember, but he had at one point, he was like, had the most strikeouts over a 10 game span of like anybody ever. He had like some horrendous stats at the early, at the start of last year, um, before going on a pretty legendary heater. Um, I think Julio is going to really turn into one of the best outfielders in baseball this year. I think 33 is going to be light money. Um, I, I think I think if I had to guess, if I had to place the over-under, I think I'd go closer to 38. Wow. You remember last year at the start of the season, we put it at 35, and you were, you were hard under, and I was taking the over at 35-plus? Because I was expecting the sophomore slump, man. Sophomore slump is real. But you know what else is real? <laughs> the third year bump. That's fair. Uh, 
Yeah, no, I in general, I would agree with you. I still think that 35 mark is where Julio's going to end up being averaging during his career when he's kind of cruising along over these next this next decade. Um, God, he's just going to be so good. I think that 33 home run mark is a little low still. Um, I think they're taking into account the games played a little too much in that first season as you know he only hit 28 but he only played 132 games uh yeah i'm just expecting a lot out of julio and i'm sure he will provide uh my one other stat that i wanted to talk about for him was the stolen bases he stole 37 bags last year which is crazy insane uh and zips projects him to steal 33 how do we feel about that man that's so hard stolen bases are (laughs) just kind of a mess of a stat in terms of prediction. Um, I think I'm going under. I think 37 was a lot even for Julio last year. But part of what I'm saying too is, you know, this guy's 22 years old and he's working out every single day. Um, I cannot imagine he's going to come into this next season lighter than he was uh, in 2023. I think he's going to be putting on some weight, putting on some muscle. Part of the reason I'm expecting that slugging to creep, creep, creep upwards. Um, and I also just think not only will his actual size uh, be a, you know, deterrent to passing 37, which he did this last year. I also just think the way he plays as he really settles into the role of one of the best players in the country and, you know, the head on his shoulders leader of this team. Um, I just think he's going to focus more on protecting his body and, and playing smart and uh, not that you can't do that in steel, but I just, I don't see him being quite as aggressive on the bag. You know, I'm actually, I'm in full agreement there. I think uh, it, it, you kind of hear it talked about a lot with like uh, with a Aaron judge um, and, and people like that, where they're just too big and you think the strain on their body is going to be too much that eventually they're going to start wearing down. And I think uh, in terms of stolen bags, Julio's a, Julio's a big guy when it comes to baseball. Like, I think of Acuna has like 60 steals. Um, Acuna's a little smaller, more compact, and those guys just have their bodies just last a little longer, They're and they're just like more consistent throughout the course of their career. That's not to say Julio won't be, but it is something to note that a lot of steals and a lot of that hard impact kind of stuff has a lot of wear on a bigger body. Um, and I think what's going to happen is the Mariners are going to start to take Julio's steals or at least attempts down more and more as he gets older. That's just kind of what I would expect to happen from them. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know that that'll happen this year. He's 23 for God's sake. Like the dude's a fresh young buck, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And you know, for what it's worth, 28 steals in a season is a really good season. (laughs) Second on the team last year in terms of stolen bases was Jared Kelnick. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was Jose Caballero with 26. Wow, Cabby stole 26 bags. I didn't realize that last year. Yeah, 26. Kelnick had 13. He's third on the team at 13. Yeah, and that's our everyday player. Cabby was more of a uh, more of a put in just to steal a bag. All right, John. Uh, next up, we've got J.P. Crawford. Now I went a little bit more, a little bit more uh, odd, just for you. We're gonna go JP War. His la- last year's WAR was four point nine. It was an awesome, awesome year for JP Crawford. Uh, next year, Zips projects him to have two point nine WAR, so a two wins less season this upcoming year. That's because last year he hit nineteen home runs, which was 
10 more than the most he'd ever hit in a season before. Uh, yeah, he had an awesome year last year, and they're really projecting him to regress just a little bit. What are your thoughts? Why don't you lead us off on this one? I, you know, war is such a hard stat. I want to hear you explain your thoughts on it before I dive in. Yeah. Um, it's funny, because looking at their stats, they project him to have... Or I guess, so last year they didn't expect him to have... Or he didn't have as good of a defensive year as they as was kind of thought of would be for JP, but he had a really good offensive year. And this upcoming season, they expect him to kind of regress back to the norm of decent offensive year, but really good defensive year. Um, and I could, I could see that it's tough. Um, he did have a relatively high strikeout rate for JP. The last couple of years, he's at 16, 16 and 13%. Uh, and last year he had an almost 20% strikeout rate. And I think he sold out a little bit more for power, which can generate a lot of war. Um, but, it does, God, it's just so hard because he had a, such a high walk rate too. He was up to fourteen point seven percent. I I do think it's a it's something where he's going to regress a little bit back to the norm. Maybe he has a twelve and a half walk percent, uh, maybe a little bit lower strikeout percent. But I just think he he'll he'll get on base probably just a little less. He had walked so much. Um, yeah, it's it's so hard to say for JP. His slugging will go down. So and in general, I would project him to have like a three to three and a half WAR. Uh, which yeah. is what which is what all the all the rejections are. Sure. Yeah, and that would be so that would be over over two point nine. But uh Yeah. But I think that's totally reasonable. Yeah. Just I'm even just looking at his advanced player value batting the last couple of years and yeah, really crushed it in terms of all time for him last year. I'm, yeah, that's crazy. But uh in the last two years, twenty twenty one his war was three point eight. So this is not the first time his war has crept north of three and a half. Um, obviously, the slugging is going to come down. If he hits another 19 home runs, I would be pleasantly surprised. Um, but there's a reason. We've seen from 2019 to 2023, his war has been increasing, you know, almost linearly over the course of those five years. So, um I think it's fair to say that, you know, this guy is very talented and can be improving. He's going into his age 29 season. You know, there's no reason to expect a physical regression. If anything, he could still be getting better this next year. Uh, I think south of 4.9 is very reasonable. <laughs> um, but I would also say that north of... Uh, North of three is also quite reasonable. His 162 game average over the course of his seven season career has been a 3.8 WAR. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome stat right there. I think in terms of like WRC plus, he was at 87 in 2019, 95 in 2020, and then 103 in 2021 and 103 in 22. To jump to 134 in 2023 is a little crazy. He was 34 percent better than the average hitter. Uh, <laughs> This could we could have very well seen JP's best year of his life, but to see him regress down to 120, I think that's still a huge win for the Mariners. And if he does that with good defense, which uh, when he had a really good WAR in 2021, it was because of his defense, not because of his hitting. Um, so if he if we could see that, and then a little bit more of a return to form defensively, he he could sit at a four and a half win season. I just it's it's tough to say with uh, with the variability of a guy like JP just because his his war that, you know, slugging is never going to be as high as it was last year with the amount of home runs he hit. 
Sure. Um, one more thing that I want to talk about with JP in terms of the over-under was his on-base percentage. Last year, it was 380, which is awesome. That was crazy considering his regular average was 266. Uh, that bumps his, bumps up 114 points, just, just to make it clear. Um, his on-base percentage is predicted to be 345, which is a little bit above what it was the previous three seasons before 2023. Do you feel like that's higher or lower than you would expect? Did you say 335? 345. 345. Yeah, so yeah, to your point, above his last three seasons before 2023, but a pretty big jump down from there. Um, one last note on war, just because I saw something that I thought was interesting. Um, 19 home runs last year, obviously massive. In 2021, his second best war season at 3.8, he only hit nine home runs, um, slugging 376. So um, that's a hard over for me on his war. But <laughs> going to his on base, I think that's a little more uh, dialed in. I think the, that's a pretty good estimate of what to expect. At 345, um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go over on base. I'm going in on, on JP. I think his slugging drops dramatically, but I think his on base climbs. I think he plays really smart. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if his walk percentage stays right where it is. He's a really smart batter. Yeah. JP's got a really good head on his shoulders when it comes to his plate discipline. Uh, I love where your head's at with this. I would have taken the over as well at 345. It's just, uh, if you if you're gambling, it's a lot of value considering how JP has performed. He's never performed really below like three thirty five, three forty, um, and to see him perform a fraction of how good he was last year would keep him above that three forty five mark, uh, and then some. Next up, we have got our own Cal Raleigh. I know you're you're your favorite guy to look at for sure. Um, but not your favorite player when it comes to st- statistics. Uh, so the first stat that I want to give you is Cal Raleigh's average. Last year, he hit 232, which is not your favorite number. Next year, he's projected to have a 231 batting average. What are your thoughts? Oh, Cal. Cal, Cal, Cal. <laughs> such, a, such a complicated relationship between me and the dumper himself. Uh, <laughs> love the guy to death. Um, he is going into his age 27 season. Um, all things are primed for this to be Cal's best season as a Mariner. Uh, his first year on the team, 2021, he only played 50 games. Uh, last year he played almost 150. Um, I have a lot of, you know, mixed feelings on Cal in terms of his efficiency at the plate. Um, but looking at the statistics over a short span of time, we have seen consistent improvement basically across the board. Um, in his three years, his batting average, OBP, uh, home runs and OPS have all increased each year over the last three years. Slugging peaked in 2022, but, uh, I like how a lot. And, you know, my first thought was, bet on the regression with Cal just because last year was his first batting over 230. Um, but then another thought came to my head, which is, hey, this guy's going to be 27 years old. He's going to be smarter at the plate. I'm sure. I know you love 
you know, his slugging and the power that he brings to this team. But I'm sure the coaches are talking to him about making better decisions at the plate, you know, extending, you know, your at bats. Um, and 230 is not necessarily a big hurdle to jump. So I swear we're going to say under on some of these <laughs> projections, but with such a low average, you know, being presented from a player that has improved every single season. And there's no reason that he can't get better. This isn't a guy that hit like 290 last year. And the only way for him to improve is to, you know, be one of the best hitters in baseball. This is a guy that has lots of room for improvement. (laughs) In terms of batting average, I think he's something like 20 points under league average. So there's room for growth there. And I, I believe it can happen. Yeah, when I think of this line, I think of it as a bet on the Mariners and their kind of system. Uh, when you look at the 232 average from last year, he played in 145 games, and that's that's just a lot for a catcher. Um, now, he, granted, he was DHing some of those, but either way, we picked up uh, Zavala, the guy from oh, who was it was the first trade, the Gino Suarez trade from the Diamondbacks. We picked him up as a backup catcher. And I think we've just got more people to give Cal some time off. Obviously, we've got a DH, so it'll come down to when Cal needs a day off, we can give that to him. Um, and to, to give a catcher a day off every once in a while is going to be huge for his legs, better for his average. I, I would expect him to hit closer to like 235, just a, just a slight bump up. If he hit 240, I would be ecstatic. Uh, but I would expect him to play, you know, 125 to 130 games, similar to what they're projecting for him. Um, but I would expect the average to take a bump up with the amount of rest that he gets and just the amount of wear and tear that is taken off of his body. I would expect him to be that much better. Uh, so I, I like where your head's at with that too. Yeah. In this terms guy, of, sorry, ahead. real quick. I just wanted to know this guy, but his last two years in Seattle, his two real full seasons with this team, he's a three, nine and three, two war guy. He is a really good catcher. One of the best in baseball. He's 27 years old. This is he's not going to peak at batting 232. This guy is. I will make a bet here and now with anybody that wants to take it. This guy will break 250 batting average one of these years. It's going to happen. Um, it's just a question of when. Wow, I love that. So something to note, John. Catchers are so uh, fickle when it comes to batting averages. I feel like because. You know, they could hit, you know, one of them turns 29 and it's over for their knees. Stuff sure. like that could happen. Um, but I, I love the confidence in Cal. And honestly, I have that kind of confidence in him. He's just that kind of guy. He's uh, he's shown he can he can fight through it with that thumb ligament tear uh, a couple years ago. Stuff like that really just makes everybody more fond of the guy. And I it's why the city of Seattle loves him and expects a lot from him. Um, When it comes to the next stat for Cal... I just want to hit the home runs. Do you think he's hitting more than 24 home runs next year? More than 24 home runs. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one seems silly to me. That whoever, whoever made that stat is not paying attention to Cal Raleigh. Once again, this guy is 27 years old. He's really only played two full seasons in the MLB. And in both of those seasons, he hit more than 24 home runs. He had 27 in 2022 and 30 last year. What evidence would there be that this guy is not going to hit 24? That doesn't, I want to take an under on these. Some, please give me a stat I can give you an under on. That <laughs> stat makes no sense. I, I'm in full agreement with you. But this next guy, 
we're just going to skip Cal Raleigh. I'm, I'm good talking about his home runs. I, I know that everybody that's listening to this pod thinks that Cal Raleigh is going to hit 30 home runs next year. It just That just doesn't make sense. Like, imagine if somebody's <laughs> like, okay, I, I smithed a coin myself, and it's a little more weighted to either heads or tails. I'm not going to tell you which one, but I flipped it twice, and it was heads both times. What do you think it's going to be this next time? <laughs> um, this next guy, Ty France. So somebody who really had a bad year last year. Zips thinks he's going to have a have more of a comeback to form. So they, they think there's going to be some improvement out of this guy. We're going to give you WRC plus, which I know is not your favorite stat. You don't, you know, you don't look at that too much, but his WRC plus last year was 104. The previous three years, it was 133, 129, 125. They, Zips projects him to have a 110 WRC plus in 2024. What do you think? Is Ty France going to bounce back? Okay, well, you're going to have to help me out here first. WRC plus, break that down for me. That is weighted runs created, um, and the plus just means it's averaged in comparison to 100. So when it's when he's 104, that means he's 4% better than the average hitter. So in the previous three years, he was 25, 29, and 33% better than the average hitter. Do you think he's going to be 10% better than the average hitter, just based on what you're expecting from next year? Okay, well, finally, finally a chance for me to be a little pessimistic. I'm not trying to be a Mariners homer, and, and finally I have an opportunity to, to prove it. Um, I am taking the under on Ty France's WRC+. Um, I, I like Ty France. I have nothing against Ty France. Um, he has never been my favorite Mariner. Just watching the way he plays, watching the way his at-bats tend to go, he has always struck me as a guy where what we got out of him last year is more what I would have expected to get out from him on a year-to-year basis. I understand with him, once again, the statistics may lean towards that being wrong and to him having a, a bounce-back year. But in my mind, last year was kind of you know the curtain being pulled away and us seeing this is kind of what you're getting from Ty France. Um, and I do not expect much of a regression back to the mean. He's going into his age 29 season. Um, obviously not over the hill in terms of age. He's still right there in his prime in terms of athleticism. Um, but I just think, I think the leagues maybe figured this guy out a little bit. He just, he strikes me as predictable at the plate. He doesn't do anything fantastic. He's just a kind of a jack of all trades hitter. Um, yeah, I just I'm not I'm not much of a believer. Yeah, what I would say about Ty France is uh, mainly just that he extends the zone too much. Pitchers by by this or during last season, pitchers would throw him a slider that broke just a little off the plate, and you know maybe this was impressing a, a little bit during during last season. But he would swing at those. He would swing at pitches that were starting as strikes had broke outside of the strike zone. He just wasn't recognizing pitches very well, or he wasn't guessing what pitches were. And when it comes to being a guy who has a 6% walk rate, you'd need to be making contact. And when pitchers have figured that out about you, it just makes it infinitely harder to be able to to make contact. His average was so high those three years, he had a really good WRC+. And I don't think it's going to bounce back to even the 270 mark. I could maybe see it hitting 260. Uh, I could also maybe see him sell out a little bit for power. He's got the kind of body that could shift towards more of a power stance yes. and 
dip a little lower, but get a little bit more WRC plus out of it. So we'll see. Um, he's always had trouble also with the in, inside pitches. He gets hit a lot because that's his weakness. That's just kind of how his stance is shaped up where, where he can get the, the bat around to. It's just not the inside of the plate. Um, so we will, we will definitely see how that happens. Uh, I like him to have a WRC plus around this mark. Uh, but when it comes to my next stat, I might go a little lower just because of what I just said. So my next stat for you is average. Last year, it was 250. The previous years, it was 274, 291, 305. Next year, they projected to have 263. What do you think? Um, this is going back to my other point, and I'm going to go ahead and make that point again. Um, and I've got some, some better stats to back it up this time as well. To your point, since uh, the 2020 season with the Padres, this guy's average has gone down every single year. 309, 305, 291, 274, 250. Every single year. His on-base percentage went from 377 to 362 to 368 to 338 to 337. Slugging dropped from 491 to 366. OPS dropped from 868 to 703. Every single one of these stats, it's basically a year-by-year decrease in production. That is the opposite of what you want to see, and it has been happening for five years, even though two of those five were pretty short uh, stints with the Padres. That includes the last three years, where each year the guy has decreased in almost every single major batting stat. Um, why, why should I expect that he's going to have a big bounce back year in terms of average? Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. The one thing that I would that that I think could happen that could be that could be beneficial is the Mariners tell Ty France, "Hey, I don't know that you're ever going to get back to this form of hitting 270, 290, 300. Like I don't I don't know that you're ever going to get back to that. You that was kind of his peak athletically. Uh and I think he might just be have regressed down to a 250 average guy. But when it comes to that, the Mariners might say, "Hey, You've got more power in you. He's been hitting, he hit four home runs in 2020, 18 in 2021, and 20 in 2022. Last year, he hit 12. I think, I don't know what he was trying to do, but he was pressing way too much, striking out too much. Um, and I think the Mariners may turn to him and say, hey, you may need to go for more of the Geno's type, type approach, and you won't strike out nearly as much as him because your bat-to-ball skills are just that much better. So I think they may go... Swing for the fences, man. It's time. It's time to unleash that power bat of yours. Um, maybe see some adjustments in that regard. And I think his average goes goes below two sixty three. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And I think that is, if I was a coach on this Mariners team, that's where I would be trying to push him because I agree with you. He's got more power in his arm than he's using. So crazy to think about in twenty twenty one, him batting two ninety one. That is absolutely never happening again. He bat 291 over 152 games. That is never, ever, ever happening again. But his home runs, yeah, he's peaked at 20 home runs, and he's got more than that in him. I would love, and even this might be a little generous in the home run department, I would love to see him put up a Cal Raleigh-esque stat line this coming year. I would love to see him bat 230 and hit 30 home runs. I think that would be a, a good tie France year for what we can expect from this guy. Um, 
as we talk about these players, I think you'll find I'm very optimistic about a lot of Mariners players. Ty France is one of the guys I'm just I'm not super optimistic about. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think a Cal Raleigh type season would be awesome, and that would be kind of exactly what we would want from a Ty from a Ty France. Yeah, year. That'd, be, that'd be great for the team too. Uh, you know, we've talked about you know power versus percentage, and it'd, it'd be nice to have him him and Cal kind of be the the backbones of uh, our slugging along with obviously Julio. Yeah, dude, to have your six or seven or maybe even eight hitter hit 30 home runs would be awesome. We'd be yeah. so okay with that. Yeah, agreed. Good for the postseason too. Oh, yeah. All right. Next up, we got a newcomer to the team. We've got our very own Jorge Polanco. Now, Jorge, a lot of people might not know about how good he was in Minnesota. We talked about it when we, when we acquired him. Um, so we might get a little bit more into that. But for Jorge, we're going to go with a couple of simpler things. Uh, first up, we're just going to go home runs. He's projected by Zips to have 17 home runs next year. Um, a lot of other projections have him at, in the low 20s, um, but Zips has him just playing less games. They think he's going to have an injury or something. So they have him at 17. Last year, he hit 14. The year before, he hit 16. What do you think? Um. Yeah, so... Jorge, excited for him to join the team. He's coming in his age 30 season. So of the guys discussed, he is the old head. Um, and his big issue in terms of particularly home run hitting has been durability. Um, since 2014, he has cracked the 100 game mark four times. That's four times in 10 years. Uh, he's cracked 150 games twice. Um, when this guy cracks 150 games, he's hitting 22 and 33 home runs. Um, you know, you look at his home run stats and you're like, why is it all over the place? It's because he has a 69 game season, a 77 game season, a 50 game season, an 80 game season. He just, uh, staying on the field has been tough for Jorge. So, that is going to be the challenge, but uh, in terms of optimism and, you know, maybe the cold weather up there was bad for his joints. Maybe he just needs some nice, you know, <laughs> temperate, wet air to keep <laughs> this guy healthy over the course of a, a long season. But I'm assuming he's going to break the 130 game mark, which he's only done three times in his career. And looking at, you know, his career stats, last time he broke... 130 games, he hit 33 home runs. Um, I am taking the over on 17. Um, I think he's going to really like slotting in on this team. Um, you know, maybe a little less pressure, a little fewer eyes on him in particular when it comes to pitchers and their preparation. Uh, I think he gets over 17. But that's mainly, mainly a factor of games played. Yeah, maybe maybe the maybe the mark that I should have picked was just games played, because um, that would have been a better indicator of all these things. Uh, I would say the same thing. I think if he plays over 120 games, he he crosses that 17 home run threshold with ease. Um, so I'm going to bet on Jorge Polanco. I would take the over in that regard. Uh, yeah, big next big up, year for him too. To your point, never yes. underestimate the fact that this is a contract year for him on a new team. You know, he doesn't have any innate goodwill from the fans. This is a prove-it season. And if he doesn't prove it here, he's going to be offered less money by somebody else. So um, 
big year for him. Like, you know, if he played 80 games last year because he was loafing a little bit, he won't be loafing this year. He's going to play every game he can. He's got millions on the line. Yes, I agree. And to that regard, he the Mariners, have, he has a, they have, there's a club option after this year. So if the Mariners like what he does, they keep him, keep him paid for $12 million the next year. So yeah, no matter what happens, he's going to want to play as good as he can this year and play as often as he can. Um, and the Mariners have shown pretty good regard for dealing with player injuries and mitigating those. Um, next up, I've got his war. He's projected to have a 1.5 war in 2024 by Zips. Uh, last year, he was also 1.5. The year before, he was at 1.8. Those two years that you're talking about where he played 150 games, he was at 3.3 and 4.2. In my mind, this is just a number of games, Mark, as well. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm looking at some very different stats from you. <laughs> is there? Do you know, is there like a batting war that's different from like an overall war? Yes, I should explain. So baseball reference, which is what you're looking at, what I told you to look at. Correct. Uh, has its own calculation for war. Fangraphs also has its own calculation for war. For those I of see. you that are listening, those are two different things. They're usually called F-war and B-war when you look at them on just like a player's ESPN page. Fangraphs war and baseball reference war. That's fine. Uh, okay. So yours so, is different than mine. Yeah, and they're, <laughs> they're similar to the numbers you're saying, just a couple decimals off. I was a little bit confused. But okay, good to know. Yeah, um... Yeah, 100% a factor how much he plays. What would you say the line is? 1.5. 1.5. I mean, he's broken 1.5 the last three years. I guess, are you talking about are you talking about your war or my war? <laughs> Let, let's go Let's go 1.5. We'll do F4. I like it. He's broken it every year in mine, too. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, probably just guessing that, you know, his age 30 season in a new... Uh, new area in a stadium that's not necessarily known for being player friendly. I understand why they think that there's going to be a drop there, but like I said, I'm I'm staying optimistic about him. If he just does what he's been doing, he's going to break that. I, I look to see a bit of a, a veteran resurgence here in Seattle. Yes, uh, I'm in the same boat with you. The one thing that I would mark is the home runs that you're talking about. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when the Mariners acquired him. His power is to the pull sides, and he's a switch hitter. So he's got down the right field line and left field line, and both of those are totally fine to hit into at T-Mobile. It's when you hit home runs to center field like a Geno or a Ty France. That's when the issues arise when it comes to hitting home runs. Uh, so I would expect Polanco to not have any sort of problems in terms of power, uh, which is great for us. Great for us to see a, a nice war and great for Jorge to have a good season for the Mariners. All right, next up, we're moving to the pitchers. It's it's about that time. We've got Senior Jorge Kirby. Um, his Zips projection for his ERA is projected at 3.48. Last year, he was at 3.35, and the year before, he was at 3.39 before he was in the minors. What are your thoughts? Interesting. Yeah, he's coming into his age 26 season. I'm going to say under. I'm going to say under. I can't say over on everything. I think... Well, an under on ERA is good. (laughs) Oh, I'm an idiot. Uh, Yeah, let me me rephrase. I would take the over. 
<laughs> That's funny. I would take the over, the over on ERA, uh, being a little bit conservative. Uh, obviously, ERA is not just, you know, it's not the only stat describing pitching. We've had great pitcher seasons with higher ERAs than you'd expect and great ERA years that weren't as uh, reflective of a pitcher's year that you'd think. Um, I think that's right about in the zone for what you can expect from him, but you know, I could also see him improving individually and uh, still giving up a few more runs. I thought he played last year a really, really clean year of baseball. Um, and for a guy that's not necessarily the king of strikeouts, um, it's not necessarily surprising to see a year or two where the ERA creeps up a little bit. People just get a little luckier on contact. Um, I love Kirby. I just think that's a that's a a stiff line on ERA for a for a young player. Yeah. Uh, something to note is FIP. So remember we talked about that last week. Is fielder independent percentage? Um, I think that's what it is. Uh, his FIP in 2022 was 2.99. So, fielder independent pitching, I'm sorry, on an ERA scale. Um, 2.99, so it was better than his 3.39 in 2022. And then it was 3.34 versus his 3.35 in 2023. So, his fielding was uh, a factor when it came to the 2022, 2022 season. And with the amount of ground balls Kirby induces um, and Polanco's relative lack of defense and insecurity at third base necessarily. We don't know how Rojas and Urias are going to perform. I'm actually in agreement with you. I would expect his ERA to creep up just a little bit. Uh, but Kirby's also a kind of pitcher who could be competing for the Cy Young late in the season. Like th- This guy is awesome in terms of what he can do. Um, so I could see it dropping to like a 310 mark, but I could also see it bouncing up to around 3.5. Yeah. Um, I think that's the range for Kirby. And it really comes down to how the defense performs behind him because he's, we've seen him get frustrated sometimes. And I think that frustration can lead him to go a couple of ways during the game. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to, to that point, yeah. 2022 is first year with the team. Three, three, nine ERA, two, nine, nine, uh, FIP or FIP. That's a 40 point difference between those two stats, you know, basically describing, you know, how his, how his fielding was behind him, you know, um, last year, 3.35 ERA to 3.34 FIP, 0.01 difference. That is some incredible fielding <laughs> behind <laughs> George Kirby. And obviously, you know, we've got some talented fielders, but, uh, a number like that is borderline us unsustainable. There are going to be mistakes made. Um, and it's only his third season in the, in the MLB. You know, pitchers get figured out to a degree. I mean, pitching, you know, just as a profession, it's such a game of chess. You know, there's so much data and so much tape going back and forth. You know, pitchers figuring out what works against certain bats and batters figuring out how to hit certain pitchers. And as he, you know, continues to stay in the league, you know, it's always just kind of a cat and mouse game of, of how does he improve or change or adjust certain pitches versus how people are able to read them. Um, and I think third year can just be can just be tough, you know, as people just get more and more tape on you. I'm not sure how many wrinkles he's had to uh, include into his game to stay, you know, with a kind of surprise on his side. So 
I, I love George Kirby. I hope George, George Kirby's here for the next 10 years with Julio. You know, his year 26, third year starting, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a bit of a down year statistically. I know we have super high expectations. I, I agree with you in general. It wouldn't surprise me if he had a down year. Uh, but like I said, at the same time, he's he's got that Cy Young potential in him. He's the number eight project, like uh, odds for Cy Young this year. I could see him having an awesome year. So it really could go both ways for Kirby. And I love to watch him pitch, man. This dude, he reminds me a lot of just kind of the way that uh, Verlander pitches, um, just with the use of his curveball and just the strike throwing that he does. Um, so I would... I would God, I would love to see him figure it out and just become like a Verlander where he's just consistently sitting right around that 3.0 ERA mark and just every single year he's he's figured out how to approach batters and just like attack lineups. Like at a certain point, you know what Verlander's going to throw at you. He just has the stuff to get it by. I would love to see Kirby turn into a guy like that. Totally, totally, totally. And for the record, similar to my Cal Raleigh point, this is a young, super talented pitcher. He's got great size. He's got a great arm. Um, in his career, I'm putting money down that he breaks the 3.0 ERA line and gets down, you know, two nine, two eight for a year. Um, who knows when it'll be? Maybe it's this next year. But uh, you know, just because I think he may not jump over the high mark this year doesn't mean I don't think it's never going to happen. Love that. Uh, all right, let's. We've kind of been taking our time. Let's burn through a couple and get to the end of this because it has been a nice hour and 10 minutes at this point probably. Gosh, uh, <laughs> we were worried about time today with the amount of stuff that we had in Seattle sports, but it's yeah. never never a lack of time for us. I'll pick it up. <laughs> uh, we got Logan Gilbert and we're going to hit two at once where you've got strikeouts per nine and walks per nine. Um, so Logan had a strikeouts per nine of 8.92 and 8.43 the last couple of years, and a walk per nine of 2.38 and 1.70 last year. Um, sorry, 2.38 in 2022. Uh, this upcoming season, he's projected to have 8.29 strikeouts per nine innings and 2.37 walks per nine innings. They're basically saying last year was a really, really good year for Logan Gilbert, and they expect him to regress back to normal or back to that 2022 version of him. Uh, how do we feel about that? Uh, I feel bad. I feel angry. I feel upset. Um, I love Logan Gilbert. Um, I love him like a brother. I, uh, in terms of statistical seasons, I think he is going to show the greatest improvement this year of any of our core pitchers. Pitchers. I just think, you know, Kirby and Castillo are a little more finished products than he is. Um, I think he could set career marks in both those stats this year. Um, I know that is hard to do in the same year. Throw more strikeouts and less walks. Um, <laughs> Have this guy be a Cy Young contender. <laughs> yeah, the nice thing about that is I would bet the uh, over on strikeouts per nine, under on walks per nine, and you're going to hit one or the other. What I don't. This guy's going to be 27 years old. He's he's the third pitcher on a really talented team, um, not facing the pressure the top guys are. You know. I think he's primed to succeed. I think he could have a really good year. I expect there to be a week at some point this year. We're talking about, is is there a chance that Gilbert's the best pitcher on this team? Um, yeah, I think he's got a shot. 
I'll make sure to mark that as a title for one of the pods during the season. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> uh, my my only thought from that is last year he adopted a splitter, and it was awesome for him. Last year was really really good for his splitter usage. He figured out his slider a little bit more and kind of threw away the changeup um, in in favor of the splitter. And I would expect that to continue. He's he's got one more year with the pitch. I think he's just going to get better. Um, I think he's going to just keep steadily improving. Going to turn into a little bit more of like a Kevin Gosman esque pitcher. And that's that's all you can ask from Logan Gilbert. He's got an amazing fastball, um, great extension, and the dude's just going to be better and better as the longer he goes on. I think he's he's got real potential here. All right, that was it for Logan. We're going to move quickly to Luis Castillo. Uh, your boy, we love him. Uh, innings pitched is a little bit tricky one. Basically, he's pitched 187 innings in 2021, 150 in 2022, and 197 in 2023. Next year, they expect him to drop a little bit down to 176.3. How do we feel about that? Uh, 176.3, I think that's super reasonable. I would take the under on that. Um, 176.3, yeah. There have only been three years over the course of his nine-year career. Nine-year? Three, six. Yeah, nine-year career that he's gotten over 170 innings pitched. Um, it's a lot of innings. It's a lot of innings for a guy that throws with a lot of power. He's going to be 31 this year. Um, this pitching staff is deep. I, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we, we, we love, we'll get to it, but we love, uh, our relief pitchers on this team. Um, I don't know why we would, we would push him towards that sort of number. Uh, you know, if he gets hurt, he's not going to meet it. And if he stays healthy, there's a chance that he won't meet it still. So that one to me kind of seems like a no brainer. Yeah, I like that. I think it's just a safer bet with the amount of relief pitching. Like he doesn't have to overexert himself. Obviously, if he's having a great start, we'll, we'll leave him in there for a couple extra innings. But the, the, the strength of our relievers is going to be really, really nice for limiting the amount of innings that are pitched by our, uh, by our starters. Um, in terms of the other stat for Luis, I had home runs per nine innings. Last year was a little bit of a, of a bump up. He had 0. 0.64 in 2020. He had 0. 0.91 in 2021 and a 0. 0.78 in 2022. He had really good, uh, home runs per nine. Last year, he would jumped up to 1.28 and next year he's projected to have, uh, a 0.92. So bounce back down a little bit more towards normal. What do you think, John? Uh, yeah, I think I, I'm taking, I'm taking the under on that. Um, yeah, he's had a really good last couple of years and then jumped up pretty considerably in 2023. Um, he's only had one year with Cincinnati where he, you know, threw more than 1.3 home runs per nine innings. Um, this is a guy I like to go under one, under one per nine. Um, yeah, looking at his last No concerns years. about his age. He's 31. He's an old head now. Exactly. Exactly. He's an old <laughs> head. And, you know, taking the two stats we said together, if this guy is throwing less innings, if he's getting more rest and, you know, stopping a little bit early before his arm starts to go on him, you know, if we're, if we're pulling him the inning before he thinks he's done instead of pulling him the inning he realizes he's done, uh, you're going to save a lot of home runs as you would with any pitcher. So, um, Working under the assumption that we let this guy breathe a little bit, I think he gets his home runs through nine back under one. 
yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I think Service had a few few outings for Luis last year where uh, he did not pull Luis at the time where he should have been pulled. There was, you know, situations where he had a couple runners on or a runner on, and Luis, you know, being being that that dog, the rock of the bullpen or of the starters, um, he wanted those those extra at bats, um, and it just didn't end well for him necessarily. Um, so I think his ERA suffered and his home runs per nine definitely suffered there. Uh, I would expect him to bounce back a little bit more towards the normal to be an even better starter this next year than he was last year. Uh, and I expect the Mariners to use him in a little bit better fashion than they did last year. Um, all that is to say, yeah, I think he'll have a lower home runs per nine than uh, 0.92. All right. Last but not least, we're going to, we're going to skip all the other guys and talk about the other new guy that we acquired that we were super excited about Gregory Santos. And we are just going to talk saves. Zips rejects him to have four saves next year. Do you think he has more or less than that, John? Uh, that is tough. Um, but no, it's also not tough. I'm going over. I'm going over four saves. Have to. He had five saves with the White Sox in 2023, which was his only full year playing. Uh, he started, not started, he <laughs> played in 60 games. Um and got five saves over 66 innings. Um, I think he is going to be a big part uh, of our bullpen. I think, you know, obviously getting the save might be a little tough with this much talent. Uh, relief pitcher, you know, he's going to be contending for saves with uh, some of the other guys. But I just think he's in a great spot. You know, he's got good fielding behind him. He's got some great starters ahead of him. Um, he's not going to be coming in too early in games. I don't think he's going to take over a lot of messes. Um, I anticipate him taking over a lot of a lot of clean seventh innings. Um, so yeah, I like his chances for for creeping creeping up in saves. I wouldn't be surprised. This is the kind of guy, even if he's not our best bullpen guy, he could be a guy that's you know up among the league leaders in saves just with the way he pitches. Yeah, I think. When you think about this Mariners team and you think about the save statistic, you think, okay, the Mariners are going to be in 60 games, maybe, give or, give or take, you know, five, uh, 60 games that are have a save potential, right? They're, they're going to win 80 to 90, somewhere in there, and two-thirds of that are going to be save opportunities. And that those opportunities are going to be shared between him, Munoz, and Brash. And I just think those three guys will have you know, at most one of them will have 20 and Brash might have eight to 10. And I think Santos is going to sit right at that, like 15 to 20 mark. Yeah. Um, that's be at the high end. That's, that's a lot. 15 to 20, three times as many as, Oh, you're, you're talking about game opportunities. Are you talking about saves? No, I'm talking saves. I think these guys are going to lock it down. Wow. That's, I was going to say, you know, I think there's going to be 30 to 40 saves to go between the three. Um, yeah, I was thinking, you know, maybe 8 to 10, but I love 15. I just think, I, and granted, I think of like save saves, and I think of that Edwin Diaz season where he had like 62 saves or whatever. That was that was a crazy year um, where a lot of saves were to be had, and so maybe 60 is a little high. Maybe there's 50 to be, to be shared among the three of them, um, in which case I would maybe take it down by 5 from Santos and go 10 to 15. But still, I think we're way above that 4 save mark. Yeah, he had... Ten save opportunities last year. I nine and went five for nine. 
a pretty good percentage, but he's also a really young pitcher. He's going to be 24 this year, so no reason to think that it's not just going to climb up, up, up. Uh, and I'm with you. I think that's a really good note. You know, he probably didn't have as many save opportunities on the White Sox as he's going to have on the Mariners this year, uh, particularly with this pitching. Now, a save is a one-run game. Is that right? Coming in with a one-run game? Yeah, uh, it's got to be three or less. Three or less. Okay. That's it. Wow. Even a bigger margin than I thought. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of save opportunities. So, yeah, I think I think that's an easy over. I love it. All right, John. Is that is that it? Do you have anything else you want to say to the people before we stop this hour and 20-minute long pod? Our poor listeners. No. <laughs> Take a nap. Drink some coffee. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. I promise we'll get something out there besides on Twitter at some point soon. Uh, you can find me, Tyler, at Tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John, not with me, because we are isolating. Yeah. Um, how about this guy? <laughs> MF and flu game over here. Hour, <laughs> hour and 20 minute pod with the vid. Absolute legend. <laughs> got to provide it for our 15 listeners man it's just it's necessary um with all that being said hey let's go zags and coogs baby let's go zags and coogs big time <laughs>